to Becoming Parents podcast. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. I am mom of 18 and you can find me on momsrunningit.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive right in. Yay! I'm here with Coach John McLernan today. We are live. And if you're watching this later, welcome. You are the first dad on this series. I am really encouraging dads to show up. And we yeah. kind of talked about that a little bit before, like as a lactation consultant and a birth assistant, one of my big goals, because I had been a mom already, yeah. was to make sure that the dads felt included. There's something that removes you. Like you feel you're there watching this person you love go through all this pain. You feel helpless. Um, a lot of dads, you know, you have the birth plan and you're ready to go. Then you see your wife in this situation. You're like, maybe you do want the epidural. Like, yeah. you know, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you, you, uh, it's harder to be the advocate. And then, then this baby comes home and you're, a lot of dads feel replaced or misplaced, mm. I guess. So yeah. I love that you're a dad sharing your story. So John, you've been on my podcast before. I have the link to that episode available for people because your story is incredible 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 so um and also i want to point out that your website is on the link because uh we can talk about that at the end but you're a weight loss coach essentially yeah, so yes. stick around or go to the link so jump in with your story of becoming <clears throat> a parent yeah well I, you know we we started later in life or it feels like later because i was 39 and my wife got got pregnant and there there were just some circumstances that um led to it sort of happening in that way but i think it couldn't have happened at a better time in terms of my emotional and mental health and development um but you know it, it was quite a nerve-wracking thing in a sense but i remember starting out and just being terrified at the thought of my wife giving birth now mm -hmm. i think that part of that comes from how it's portrayed in popular media it, it's this like screaming fest of like blood curdling agony, you know, and, 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 you know, your wife turns into this monster who's going to rip your head off and, and feel like, look like she's demon possessed and something. And, and, and that's, uh, you know, maybe that does happen in some instances, but that like, that's the image that's imprinted on our minds. But so I decided, well, you know what, if I'm going to be a support to my wife, because I, I kind of had to accept there's certain parts of it where I'm just going to be, or, or, or feel helpless. Like you can't stop the, the experience. So I'm going to learn everything I can about it so I can be the best support I can in this experience. And so as I started learning about labor and like the stages of labor and, and what it looks like, and, you know, I started to feel a little bit more empowered and I started to feel like, and, you know, I just decided for my wife that I'm going to become your best advocate. I'm on your side and I'm going to be the one that's going to, I, I get to step into my protector role you're, you just have to focus on giving birth and I'm going to be as educated as I can. And I'm going to be there standing up for your rights, defending what it is that you want to do when, you know, you're, you're in no shape to be having a logical discussion. And so. Amen. Right. Amen. Well, that's why you have a birth plan. Yeah. So I taught two childbirth education classes <clears throat> and one of them was Bradley. Did you do any childbirth education? Cause Bradley really involves a husband a lot. And you uh, we, do a birth plan and stuff. We did uh, a hypnobirthing course, which oh, I thought awesome. was, I thought was okay. good. And and I was, you know, I, I, of course I love mindset work and I'm a, I'm a certified meditation coach as well. Um, although that came after the fact, 
but ironically, uh, things, of course, never go according to plan. And I think it's really important to go in with this mindset. We have this plan. And so we were really, we were upfront with the nurses and whatnot. And we ended up having to have an induced labor because she was 15 days overdue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the baby was was fine. Baby was healthy, happy as a clam in there. So they're like, okay, first time around, we know we're not going to, we'll just kind of let it go until it gets to this point. But um, so we went in there with a plan, but we, we wrote in our plan, hey, this is what we'd like to happen ideally, but we, we recognize this is taking place in the real world. We recognize that you are the experts. We wanted to create a very like healthy working relationship with our, you know, I guess the nurses and doctors, the birth partners. And so we wanted this to be collaborative. But it's funny, you know, like we brought things like, you know, a speaker and, and a laptop, if we, you know, and so on, because we, we had no idea how long this was going to go. None of this stuff ever got used, you know. Uh, well, I'd rather have it and not use it than wish I had something. And you don't know. And yeah. I think I want to ask you a question. I want to go back for in a minute. But I think when you don't, the biggest fear is the fear of the unknown. Yes. In childbirth. Because once I had experienced it, once you do it, and you know you can do it. You're like, oh, okay. So here's how I want. I would have liked to have done it differently, and here's how I want to do it differently in the future, right? But like with all the birth plans and prepping and bringing the laptop and this, you you have no idea what's going to happen, really. Yeah. Can yeah. we go back though? Mm. Because you said you got pregnant later in life. Was that a plan, or were there issues in getting pregnant? Uh, there weren't, as far as we know, any physical issues, although we were concerned because I was born premature myself. Um, I was born through premature. There can be some issues with, with fertility. And so it did appear that I had a relatively low sperm count, but there was, so there was no other like major issues, but okay. for us, it was more like life circumstances. So just a couple of years earlier, I'd lost my business. Um, and, and my business partner was a crook and, uh, I got taken for a ride and lost all of my life savings and investment and all of this. And so that just like flatlined everything. And we're like, oh my gosh, we can't bring a kid into the world in this. And okay. prior to that, we'd been on sort of our world tour, <laughs> world tour. Right. Yeah. Now I knew that. And that's, that's <clears throat> in the first podcast, but also you guys, you were a traveling teacher. You went to mm -hmm. how many countries? Uh, 45. That, yeah. I mean like for five years. Yeah. Thereabouts. So, yeah. I mean, we've been travelers since we were first married and we've been together for about 17 years, but we had like a dedicated stretch where we're like, this is what we're doing with our life kind of thing. And I thought maybe you were intentionally putting parenting on. I mean, some people wait until they're older because they want to. Mm, they don't yeah, feel yeah. ready or because of circumstances. I mean, my best friend from college decided not to have kids and had this massive heart to heart with me. Like there's there's so many different reasons why I was just yeah, kind of yeah. curious if there was a so there was no fertility. You guys waited and then. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think the other, the other part of it was like, so I wanted to be a dad for a very long time. And I, I made it clear to my wife in, in a very like, um, sort of, I guess I was gonna say low key way. There was no real pressure there, but I said, I just want you to, to know that whenever you're ready, I'm hundred percent in, like, I want to be a dad. Got it. That, that's what okay. I want in life. And so uh, for her, I think it was this, we had this, these years of insecurity after, you know, I went through my you know PTSD and trauma and all that kind of stuff, which Correct. is in the other episode. Uh, yeah. We wanted to, I wanted to be in a healthier place mentally and emotionally as well. And so right. I think it was really, really like fantastic timing. Good. Yeah. I mean, I was a mom at 21 and it was planned. And that yeah. sounds stupid to me now. Like wh what? I mean, I went through a year of infertility before I got, so like, I started it, that it's crazy. It's crazy to even think about that. Although at the time, 
it, I was married. That's what we wanted to do. Right, I yeah, had yeah. to go through infertility. Like you just kind of take the next step, but I really wanted to, and my daughter's turning 30 and I have zero regrets. It was the most fun, best thing I've ever done. And we're yeah. all so different. I want you to talk about more about like the studying and how that prepared you and what prepared you and what was shocking or not shocking. And then segue into the being 15 days overdue. Cause I have been also, and it's, it was my third delivery and it's still nerve wracking because you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. you, you start to talk statistics in your mind, higher chance of C-section, higher chance of the baby being yeah, born with something yeah. like there's all these stats, right? So take, take me through your learning curve. Cause I love that you did this. Yeah. Well, I, I just was like, I, I, I need to understand what it actually looks like. And one of these things this hypnobirthing course talked about was stop watching how media portrays pregnancy and childbirth. Yeah. because they portray it for dramatic effect. They don't portray an accurate version of reality. That's not to say that childbirth is easy, but they, they even show examples of, you know, childbirth, like water birthing and things like that and home birthing and so on, where obviously it's, it's uncomfortable. But when, when you kind of understand that, that a woman's body has the power and the ability to do this, like it's, it's like superhuman really. And you go, okay, like this is going to be the, probably the most difficult thing like my wife ever goes through, but her body can do this. Her body is incredible. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's, and, and so just learning about that kind of reassured me a little bit. And I, I think just being informed and not being ignorant of what was going to take place. I mean, obviously we, we didn't, couldn't see the future, but it, I just went into it not feeling so scared and feeling at least empowered that I know the steps I can do to, to help her and, and everything outside of that's outside of my control. So I'm just going to make peace with that. Mm, wow. I mean, that's really hard. That's a really hard thing to do, I think, especially, I don't want to stereotype, but more for mm. men than for women, maybe. Like the provider, the world on your shoulders, the responsible one, the protector, yeah, yeah. you know. But I'm so glad that that happened because, you know, some births are like media portrays it. Sure, yeah, yeah. In my experience, none of them have been, like, none yeah. of the births I've assisted on or had myself have been anything like media portrays. Yeah. And so for, for us, like obviously the due date came and went and we'd also yep. been told not to put like too much stock in it. I mean, it's hard not to, in a sense, right. but we're told not to put too much stock in it, not too much pressure, you know, because in a sense there, there is an idea that, okay, like nature has a pretty good idea. And if we need a little extra time, we need a little extra time. And so we just asked for extra monitoring and, uh, in Canada, we have like quite good universal healthcare. And so it was no extra cost to us to have this extra monitoring. So we did, uh, you know, biweekly or twice weekly ultrasounds and a few other checks just with our doctor. Um, everything's, you know, seemed good, seemed healthy. Mom was healthy. Like there wasn't any major concerns, but it got to a point where they're like, okay, we're, we're going to have to induce if this doesn't happen today yeah. because like the placenta is starting to break down. Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. I was 18 days overdue once and. Um, how did your wife I and I don't I'm I mean like from your okay I was really trying hard to like I didn't feel like I was in a bad mood you're really uncomfortable six week 37 week okay mm -hmm. anytime is fine right and in your brain you're like ready you're on a countdown yeah. and you know that going closer to 40 is better but there's also a point where like you're uncomfortable and I yes. remember feeling like I was trying to be so kind and so nice and so patient and that's not how my family saw me and I wasn't awful but right, I right. was definitely 40 plus weeks pregnant and it was yeah, a little cranky. Yeah. How did your wife handle it? How did you handle that? And then jump into the induction. Yeah. 
you know, like she, she was on, on the same page. Like uh, we're not hippies or anything, but we're like, okay, we want to kind of let nature take its course. We want to avoid right. induction if possible, because uh, we didn't want to go the, the, the Pitocin route um, if, if possible, right. because that can be a really, really difficult and uncomfortable pregnancy. And so we, we were, we were both on board. Uh, I mean, but she was, she was pretty done with just being <laughs> pregnant. Now, granted this happened sort of in the middle of the pandemic. And so we weren't seeing a lot of people anyways. Um, and I work from home. And so it was kind of just the two of us in our little bubble. Um, we would we would read stories and sing to. We called him Baby Bean. We didn't. It was a boy at the time. We didn't. It was just Baby Bean. We would sing and tell stories. You didn't do a gender check. No, no. I didn't either. I love this. Okay. We did not. Okay. We did not want to know. We're like uh, now. I in my heart, I was like from day one, this is a boy. Okay. I, I just I couldn't say. I just knew it. I was like, this is a boy. I'm certain of it. Um, but we don't want to know. And I would have been very happy with a daughter as well. Uh, and we do have a son, obviously. <laughs> um, and uh, so. We we would uh, we watch comedies every night, just tried to get her laughing and relaxed, and like we 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 kind of like hamsters, you know, just like laying around and eating and and um, just watching funny things. Um, yeah, and well, truthfully, we had a lot of sex as well because we you know um, semen contains yep. prostaglandins that can help bring on labor, and it's it's not nothing. Yep. <laughs> you know, the downside is it's a lot more business like than. You know, it was like there's a purpose to this. It's, we're not just kind of doing it for a physical enjoyment. There's kind of a because the, that's what that's what the doctor. She's like, hey, look, if you want this that to happen, here's sense. one of the way. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean, and look, from a male perspective, it sounds like it's brilliant. But I mean, my wife's 40 weeks pregnant, and, I, I, and look, I'm I'm pretty considerate of her and her physical comfort and whatnot. So I was like, let's let's try to make this as comfortable as possible for you. Yeah. Um. You know, I've been there, and you know what? It's interesting for me hormonally. This, I wanted the sex. I yeah, well, yeah. I wanted the orgasm. I yes. wanted the release. Yeah. I wanted the contraction of my uterus. Like yeah. I actually had a very high sex drive at the end. But then, no yeah. matter what, it doesn't feel the same. Yes, it's not. Yeah. It's not like what your mind is remembering from college, right? Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we and we uh, th there was a lot of false starts as well. Yeah, and that that was like really hard over over the probably a four or five week span. It was like oh, oh I'm feeling something. Is it, is it starting? And it's like no, and my wife had really painful Braxton Hicks, yeah. you know, and, and she was like, so kind of annoyed at women who were like, Oh, I didn't feel a thing. And she's like, she had painful Braxton Hicks from like 32 weeks. And and we were actually thought the baby was going to come early. I mean, uh, because of these things mm. and, you know, you keep getting checked, keep checked. Nope, nothing, 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 you know? And I think she probably walked around like four, probably three, four weeks at like four centimeters dilated. And there's just nothing just stalled out, you know? And you're like, yeah, what do you do? So yeah. that, that was kind of, you know, so it came time for the induction. So we, and it was scheduled. So we go to the hospital, you know, uh, we had this time set where like, if it doesn't happen before, then this is what we're doing. Um, and yeah. they gave her, um, the cervidil it's called. And so that's mm -hmm. just to, to ripen the cervix as they call it. And, uh, that was enough to get the process started, thankfully. Um, so she didn't have to go on, on Pitocin. Um, so we went back home. They're like, come back when they're, you know, uh, two minutes apart, give or take. So we just went back home, sat in our chairs. Um, I held her hands and sort of breathed with her through the contractions and, and whatnot. Um, and we watched funny movies again. And we went in at about two o'clock in the afternoon back to the hospital. because she, she had the cervical put in around eight in the morning. So uh, six hours later. So, you know, the, the, now, now it's real. Now it's on. And, uh, yeah. I, I'm as ready as I'm going to be like, I'm all fired up. Like we got, we've got this plan, you know, I know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm, I'm set. It's battle stations for this guy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I like love I, it. 
Okay. I was I was like, okay, look, I'm stepping into my role here as as protector for my wife who's going through this like life changing, life altering experience. And uh, you know, like that that felt like look, I love being a man. I love being male. I love being a protector. Like I love being a provider. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I embrace masculinity in, in like it's a really I think masculinity is amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, why should we shy away from the fact that I want to be these things? And so I was like, no, I'm stepping into this. I know there's things I can't do, but everything I can do, I'm going to do. But the uh, so so we we got there. My wife labored in the tub for quite a bit. You know, I was just feeding her and breathing with her. Just you know, we practiced like paired breathing and stuff like that to help mm-hmm. her through the different contractions. And then it got to a certain point where like, okay, we, we better head to the bed because they're like coming maybe thirty seconds apart. And uh, but it got to the point where um, the doctor was like, yeah, you're like your water hasn't broken. And it was now like eight, nine o'clock at night, I think. And she's like, okay, we, we have options. You can, you can just kind of keep laboring away or we can break your water. And so we talked about it and we're like, okay, you know what? Let's, let's just do that. Took the doctor six tries. It's like, this is the toughest sack that she's ever like, like no wonder this baby wasn't coming. She was, it was like, it was so thick and like layered that like, like this was never going to break. And so, but then as, as soon as the water broke, it was yeah. on like full on for five hours. Like, yeah. And, and there was, there was, a, there was, that was when the real shift happened. Like, obviously the labor was uncomfortable, the, you know, the, the contractions and whatnot. And we were able to, she was able to breathe through Like my wife is a hell of a trooper. She's got a pretty high pain tolerance and, and uh, we, we'd hoped for no epidural. That was the plan. And uh, she didn't end up having one, but uh, now all of a sudden, if I touched her, she said it felt like 50 tons of bricks on her back. Like I couldn't, the lightest touch of a finger on her. And that part of it was really tough on me because, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to be able to, you know, stroke her forehead, you know, rub her back, you know, get, provide some counter pressure on her hips, all this kind of stuff wasn't happening. She was like, no. And she was so gracious, like being in all this pain and discomfort. She was trying to communicate me like, don't touch me, but I'm not mad at you. <laughs> and, you know, and so really all I could do was I could, you know, and we had her on all fours because um, we didn't, you know, we didn't want to yep. do the classic legs in the air. And, and so I'd, I'd run around to her. I'd like look her right in the eye and like, I'm here with you. You're amazing. Just, just keep going, keep going. And I'd run around to check the progress. And, you know, some guys are, I guess are grossed out by that, but I'm like, look, I, I've had my face down there before. <laughs> like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so <clears throat> true, but it is different. And it I, is. obviously it is. I but, can but, understand. It's hard to look at a vagina sexually. Yeah. After seeing that, although why? Like you're yeah, doing why? exactly what your body's supposed to, and then it bounces back and it's ready for a penis and not a baby. Like w- yeah, why? Yeah. So good yeah. for you because yes, I, your face has been down there before. Yeah. Yes, you know, and 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 uh, you know, she pooped a little bit too, and I'm like, whatever. Yeah, uh, like I don't care. So I, I was so like. I was, I was prepared for all of these things. I, I mean, it, it was actually a very small amount, all things considered, given right. five hours of hard labor, like, um, and then two, it was two hours of pushing too, which was, so it was like from eight to 11 was like this really, really hard, intense labor. And because, but they, 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 um, kept checking the baby's heartbeat because it was going on longer. And so it's like, my wife never got a break because it's like, okay, it's between yeah. contractions. Okay. We need you in this position so we can check the baby's Like it was just physically just taxing and exhausting. Um, and, and then like two hours of pushing, like we didn't think it was going to take that long, you know? Um, but I remember my excitement when I started to see like the top of the scalp and I can see like, that's, that's the top of the baby's head. And, right. and like my excitement of course goes through the roof. And so that I'm just like, and I'm right there in her face being like, we're this close. We're so close, you know, keep going, keep going. You know, you're, you're, you're going to do this. And, uh, so, so, you know, and it wasn't too long after that, that, that baby pops out and, uh, now she's, you know, and now her body's just like shaking, just 
full on yeah. like body shutters, just shaking all this adrenaline coursing through her. Just, you know, she's been through, uh, it was now like one thirty in the morning. So what do we, uh, 17, 18 hours of labor yeah. all, all together, you know? And uh, the first thing I said to her was, I was right. <laughs> yeah. It's not generally what we want to hear, but yeah. So uh, well, because she was saying, well, what is it? What is it? What is it? And I was like, I was right. <laughs> and uh, anyways, you know, get, get it wrapped up, get in arms. We, we wanted skin to skin right away. We knew like that was a part of her plan and, all, you know, and, and uh, she was just like, I can't believe it's real. I can't believe it's real. You know, it was this beautiful yeah. thing. Um, but now, now comes the aftermath. Uh, they had to manually remove the placenta and she'd lost quite a bit of blood. And, you know, I mean, obviously that happens in birth, uh, losing blood and whatnot, but they're like, we have to act in this now. Otherwise, like we're going into surgery. So I'm like, that, that's the last thing you want to hear after just, okay, I've got the baby in my arms now. And I remember holding him and just looking at him and being like, yep. oh my gosh, like this is real. This little human is my responsibility now. And wow. You know, it, it felt like something physically changed in my body at that point in time. I was like, yeah, I, this is no longer an idea in my head. This is real. And this little human needs me and I'm going to be here for it. Um, and then I was just like super exhausted because, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we've been up for, you know, 36 hours straight. You know, we didn't really sleep the night before knowing all this was coming. And so, uh, you know, and the, the hospital doesn't provide like a, a place for me to sleep at all. It was like you have this stiff, hard, like dinner table chair, chair. to sit on. Yeah. And I, I did awful. not want to leave my wife's side. Yeah. Right. But, but now, eventually I was like, how, how stiff, I mean, how stiff, sorry. I heard you say in the chair, <laughs> how difficult was it? You have this brand new baby in your arms and then the doctor looks at you and says, we have to do this now or she's going into surgery. How split were you? Cause that would be a really, really yeah. hard thing. Yeah. It, well, it, you know, surprisingly i'm pretty good at keeping a cool head under pressure mm. uh, even even if inside i feel like really torn up um you know so i just but i just went to my wife and i said look this is this is what's happening and then, I mean, obviously she's there she's awake she can hear it but you know she's just been through this as well and i said you know this is you this is your body you, you decide and and you know ultimately she's like well i've just been through about the most pain i can possibly imagine if we can do it here let's do it here and so okay great and, and it was a female doctor and she went in and she had smaller hands. So I guess that helps like manual removal. So she's got to put her arm up yeah. in there and get into the uterus and scrape the stuff out. Yep. And it's agonizing. Um, they did give her a shot of fentanyl um, to help that. And I was, I was obviously, of course they discussed that with us beforehand. I was a bit worried because you know, you hear, you hear fentanyl and you hear fentanyl overdose and drug overdose. And I was like, is there any dependency you're going to develop? Like, okay, if we're going to use this, I understand. But you know, Anyways, they reassured yeah. me, no, in this situation, no, it's the smallest dose required, all that kind of stuff. And thankfully, my wife is not involved in an opioid addiction, gratefully. <laughs> and that yeah. was the only time in her life that she's ever had fentanyl. And it got her through it. So, Wow. So she's, you're, stand, you're sitting there with the, holding the baby while your wife's going through this manual yeah. extraction. Well, I've, I've, got, I've got kind of the baby in one arm and I'm trying to like lean over her with the other and just like stroke yep. her forehead and just, just keep her distracted and look at our beautiful boy. Look at him. Look what you did. You're so amazing. Yep. You're so incredible. And, and you know, he's so beautiful. And of course the babies look a little bit goofy when they come out their heads a bit misshapen. and they look kind of like <laughs> an alien, but we don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. You're blind. You don't, you see, yeah. this, you see <laughs> this beautiful, amazing human and it's yeah, uh, yeah. not what the pictures show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the movies, it's like a four month old baby that comes out. Yeah. Pregnant. <laughs> You're like, that's like a 15, 16 pound baby there. Like with a pretty well-shaped head. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, honestly, if you look back at pictures and stuff, what you should be saying is we'll love him anyway. Yeah. Like yeah. this is scary and ugly and we'll love yeah. him anyway. Yeah. But you, you emotions, 
you know, are totally different. So you sat there with her. It was awful, I'm guessing, having yeah. the manual extraction. Yeah. Now, once that was done, I was now curious. I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm going to look at the placenta. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm like, and and so, you know, a baby's back in her arms again. She's holding it, holding him. And uh, so, so I'm going to look at this because I want to understand more about this whole thing. And you could see she like it was kind of broken in two parts because he was like all cracked up and starting to calcify and they point out this and that. And so I was kind of looking at the anatomy of the placenta because they have to look at it too. They have to look at it for the health of it. Did we get all yep. of it? Any deformities that we need to be aware of and so on. And, you know, I think we managed to wait maybe five, six minutes before cutting the cord as well. I did get to cut the cord. Oh, good. They gave me the dullest scissors on the planet. Like, <laughs> I mean, the cord is like tough and sinewy, but I'm like, oh my gosh, They're, the scissors are like warped. You know how scissors have like a little, a gap between their blades and don't cut properly. And they're, they're like apologetic. We're like, ah, sorry. <laughs> you know, you're like your hands hurting, you're cramping. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, and of course you think, oh, is this hurting the baby? And he's, he's not caring, you know? No. And definitely. so. Yeah, and, and of course we we wanted to keep the oh, what's the little coating on the babies that uh, like that waxy coating they're born with. Uh, um, wow, uh, vernix. Vernix, but there there was hardly any at all at this point. Like okay. that was basically all. Like they said, if he'd been born like on time, he probably would have had more. But like yeah, no. and because you know we're like, can we make sure we massage this? We don't want him like bathe. And they're actually, I, I think in Canada, maybe down there as well, they don't bathe them for at least twenty four hours. Yeah, um, they, they and you can they, ask for it to not happen at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did get to give him his first bath, like with the help of a nurse and I got to change his first diaper and, you know, uh, it, it, it was like, it was, it was pretty neat. Like, obviously I just felt like a big fumble fingered buffoon with this tiny little human. I'm just terrified of doing anything that would hurt him or, you know, you got a heart full of love and, but you just look at this delicate, fragile little being and, you know, and, and they're, they're more resilient than we, than we like recognize, but they just mm -hmm. look, their fingers are so tiny and then, and I'll, you know, so and and uh, I, I think my favorite thing was holding him and he would just like scrunch up in the fetal position or we called it froggy scrunch. And yeah. he would just like nestle into my shoulder. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. The best. Know? And like their face is right by your neck and you can yeah, smell yeah. them. And it's yeah. the best thing ever. Your wife's recovery. How was, mm. how did she do after um, the manual removal? How did she heal? Um, a lot of, lot of painkillers. Yeah. So I, I thankfully, again, because I work from home, I, I recognize this is, I run my own business. Um, so that gave me a little bit more freedom and I'd kind of, I'd kind of like shunted some work back. All my clients knew that I was going to be a little bit less available. They were so understanding. Like that was, yeah. that was incredible. Um, and I, because I, 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 I'm a solopreneur, I got to keep running my, the show, but I said, right. look, we're, we're just going to, I'm going to be a little bit less available, a little bit less responsive. I'm still here. My, my wife and I agreed. We understand I still have to run this. Um, so I was like doing her hot bag every, every like couple of hours, hot water bottles, um, making sure she was on schedule with her painkillers because she's exhausted and I'm exhausted yeah. too. Like, um, but I just, I just set a whole series of alarms and my phone was like, at this time you take this, at this time you take this. So I made yeah. sure that I was, I was scheduling everything for her. Um, because again, she, she, I mean, she's just trying to keep this little human alive. Like, right. and, and I got on every diaper I could, uh, I was like, okay, you're handling the input. I'll handle the output, you know, <laughs> right. um, but we, we had a bit of a crisis when he was about four days old. So, um, it, it, her, her milk hadn't really come in as effectively as we'd hoped. And, uh, he was starting to get those orange crystals in his diaper, which are crystallized urine. And, uh, so we, we, we called and they're like, no, you gotta get to the hospital right away. And then my wife and, and it's COVID. And so I'm the one that brings him in because right now she, again, she's still exhausted and she can't, you know, hardly remember her own name somehow she you know obviously she instinctually knows how to care for him um 
so I go in and I, I do all the explaining and she has to sit in the car and thinking like, Oh, what have I done? Have I hurt my baby? Just, just crying. Like what's wrong. And I, you know, postpartum and all of this, like just a, a blubbering mess. And I say that with the utmost of love and affection. Um, so she wanted me to go in there because obviously I could explain a little more clearly right. the, rather than through like sort of heaving sobs and crying, but it's the hardest thing in the world to like take, take our little boy into the hospital, leaving my wife in the car, but they wouldn't let both of us come in. And I'm like, do you realize how inhumane this is? Yeah. Like, separating my little boy from from my wife so i can go and explain like everything that's been taking place because you know i'm a little bit more rested and you know yeah uh, you know so that was really tough and they yeah. they kept her in there for the day and then so then uh, we have to swap out at a certain point of course because okay we got everything sort of lined up okay now you have to leave and and she comes in and it was it was brutal you know and then and of course there's no updates coming so now i'm just sitting in the car in a parking lot being like how long am I going to be here? What's happening? You know, um, and you know, obviously the story has a happy ending. Um, he, he's okay. They get him rehydrated. They make sure that, you know, they didn't have to do any electrolytes or anything like that. Like they got, they got enough lactation going, you know, and we had some lactation consultations, which are absolutely oh, brilliant. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh my gosh, nursing is, I mean, it's amazing. Um, but boy, is that ever tough too. And so, yeah, I, I really just as much as possible again, like if I felt kind of, or I could have fallen into a feeling of uselessness because, you know, she's nursing, um, every time it's up, she's the one that's getting up for it, comforting and so on. And, and this little human basically not, like rejects me, not, not rejects me, but it's like, doesn't know who I am. And right. that goes on for probably a few months. Now, right. obviously he develops a familiarity with my face and my smell and my voice and so on. But those first few months, like mom's everything. And I want to comfort him. I want to hold him. Nope, not doing it. He was just scrapping the heck out of me until it gets into mom's arms. And so mm. again, I, you know, and maybe that's not the case with, with all babies, but he would just, just about claw my face off to be like, get me back to mom. Right. And so, so that, that was, that was definitely tough. Um, that, you know, I, cause I wanted to be there. I so badly wanted to be able to give her a break, hold him, comfort him. It just was, wasn't happening. I'm like, so again, I had to go, okay, what are the things I can do? What are the things I can do to lighten her burden? You know, all the cooking, um, you know, helping her to pump, you know, bringing her to the pump, making sure it's charged, all this kind of stuff. Um, so all of the sort of unglamorous behind the scenes, little details that I could take care of for her, at least made it feel like I was still in my sort of pr protector provider role. I mean, that's so important though, right? Because when you're the mom and basically your only purpose is to give birth and breastfeed this child, yeah. that's really the only, once you've given birth, your only purpose. And that's hard for the mom too. You feel like I need a shower. I, yeah, yeah. I, I never have time not being touched. Um, yeah, yeah. I love to breastfeed, but holy cow, it's overwhelming. Yeah. You worry about the baby. Like really it's, it can be a really, it's a really, really of transition for the mom and the dad for different reasons but like her sole purpose is to heal just heal your body and breastfeed this baby such boat off yeah it's dynamically different roles and it's yeah yeah so that it was great that you just went there and thing like you were displaced and unneeded yeah, yeah. And, and i had this i have this one memory um we had, we had like sort of a our den set up as a bedroom he, he still hasn't slept in there a year later <laughs> he still has a crib beside her bed but uh 
and I was sitting in this this rocking chair. It's one of those rockers with the rocking stool, and just holding him and being like, "Mama needs sleep," and and I'm I'm so exhausted that I can't see straight either. And I'm, but I'm like, I can't fall asleep with this little human in my arms. So I'm watching, like, I would watch the minutes and I would go five more minutes. I just have to make it five more minutes. And I'd watch, you know, each minute tick off the clock and I'd, you know, smack myself a little, you know, okay, I got to keep going five more minutes because mama needs sleep, you know? And, and I just remember that, that sheer exhaustion. And of course my parents lived 10 hours away at the time and, and COVID restrictions, they weren't allowed to travel interprovincially. So they weren't allowed to cross over the border into our province. So we had like no support in this time as well. So I could only imagine if I had to go back to work and she was alone in this, how, how difficult that, that would have been. And so, um, you know, but it was, it was little things like, um, making frozen pads for her. Um, a a lot of that, um, we, we just about killed ourselves laughing for when I was applying hemorrhoid cream for her. Like it it was, you know, we're like, well, whatever, I've seen you give birth. So let's just get over this. And, you know, but I'm like, this is true love when I can look at the hemorrhoids in your butthole and apply hemorrhoid cream. Um, because it's just too painful and too hard for you to reach there. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you don't realize how much you're going to let go of because after you have a baby, like anything that ever happens, you're like, seriously, why this is just nothing (laughs) is ever a big deal. Once you have your husband apply hemorrhoid cream and you've given birth in front of a team of people, like seriously this is just that's it you're done you're like what yeah. nothing else matters oh yeah. naked in the gym locker room like flat like, you just don't <laughs> yeah. you just so don't care there's a certain degree of i think liberation that comes from it and yep. uh you know and, and again it was the same thing like you could get all weird about this stuff if you want to but i was like what you know my, you know i kept saying like my wife's body has just been through this unbelievable incredible mir- miraculous like transformation she grew a human life and then birthed it and now feeds it from her body like it is so like i, I know it's so common because there's you know eight billion of us on the planet and who knows how many people have been born before but it's every individual one is still a miracle. And I, di- I didn't want to lose sight of that. It was just how incredible and how amazing this was. And so through all the, the, all the tough nights, all the sleepless nights and all of this, like we just kept reminding ourselves, we have this beautiful baby boy, you know, he's healthy. Um, he's grown like a weed. Like it's, you know, it's amazing. And, and, you know, now he's, he's just ticked over a year old and uh, it's now getting to be like super fun to be a dad. <laughs> Yeah, it takes. Yeah, there's definitely splits and different things and changes in roles. And uh, and I understand it. It's kind of natural. And it is incredible. It's amazing. I'm so thankful. So I have two questions. One, are you going to do it again? Hopefully all being well. Yeah, I mean, my wife has some pelvic health issues, which comes as no surprise after sort of childbirth later in life. She was 37, 38. Um, So that uh, 37. Uh, So there's that. So, and then ironically, I've developed some hip issues from, and we're, we're actually trying to figure this one out. Uh, but I think it stems from a couple of motorcycle accidents I had a number of years ago that have shown up to haunt me again. And so there's like a physical impediment right now, <laughs> but okay. my wife, my wife's also like, uh, well, you know, I'm not quite sure I'm ready. Like we want to space it out a little bit if we can, yeah. but, but yeah. very much, yeah, you know, and it'd be amazing to have a daughter. We'd love to have a pigeon pair. I think that's what they call it a pigeon pair when you have a son and a daughter. So, um, awesome. we, we would love that. Um, yeah. So give me your, um, your elevator pitch about your coaching and people know where to find you because the link's in there, yeah. but, but give an overview of what you uh, do as far as coaching. Cause a lot of parents are feeling like you felt. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I, I work with you as as a, two experts collaborating. And what we're going to do is this isn't me. I'm the guru. You're the dummy. I tell you what to do. You have to follow it. This is we're going to work together in a partnership to help you get to the goal that you want to get to. Um, I empower people um, rather than, you know, like I said, just to tell people what to do is, is completely disempowering. Just to hand them a plan and say you have to follow it because I'm smarter than you. That doesn't work. This is, this is a process where I guide people step-by-step step through reverse engineering their own healthy lifestyle from the perspective of their brain, which is, this is where it gets really fascinating. I call it brain-driven weight loss and uh, really helping people understand why they do what they do. Um, in a nutshell, I say, Mary, the, the compassion of human connection with the psychology of behavior change and the science of metabolism to really create life-changing results. And so at the heart of everything I do is compassion. And I think that's, that's the secret sauce that makes these transformations possible. Yes, I love it. Your website has so much information. Um, it's amazing. And your story is incredible. Your your other story is yeah, amazing. Yeah. People can listen to that. You can also read a bunch about it on the website. Uh, you have a YouTube channel. That was the only thing we weren't connected with. I was like, how does he have something I haven't been part of? So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, people can find you anywhere. They can. I run three podcasts. Uh, one's called Between the Before and After. That's just about people's life stories overcoming major obstacles, which I don't know if you've been on there yet. I'm like, I don't think you I have. I don't think I have. We need okay. to talk. Yeah. Uh, one's called It's Not So Black and White. And so that's about having civil nuanced conversation in the era of cancel culture and so on. So it's myself and primarily my co-host Lamar. I'm a small town white boy from uh, Canada <laughs> and he's a, grew up in inner city, New York. And so we're, we're total opposites, but we hit it off. Um, and then the third one's called wellness unfiltered where we're really about empowering people to become active participants in their health instead of just a patient waiting for a diagnosis. I love it. Jonathan, thank you so much for being on today. I love chatting. You're so excited for this. <laughs> yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.